Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Scarlet Faithful Podcast. I'm your host and co-founder, Aaron Brightman, coming to you on Thursday, the midpoint of early signing period for the 2023 class for college football. Rutgers announced their 21-member class on Wednesday, potentially could add to it uh, through Friday. I don't expect them to. Um, 19 uh, recruits out of high school and then two transfer uh, transfers um, that were already prior. Uh, well, everyone was, you know, announced. There were no surprises on uh, signing day, which the early signing period really has become kind of the um, uh, new national signing day. The uh, typical period in February is kind of the late uh, signing period now. And uh, Rutgers could potentially sign, uh, you know, recruits through there uh, in February uh, and obviously add transfer portal candidates throughout. But what I wanted to do here was go through uh, Rutgers football head coach Greg Schiano's press conference, which he held late yesterday afternoon. Um, I thought, you know, there's some interesting comments made. Um, I also like to bring you the audio. I know people can watch the press conferences online, but um, just in analyzing things and discussing the program, I think, including his actual words um, and hearing from him and his tone and just kind of how he um I think you just get a better sense of where he's coming from and then be, being able to kind of break that down a little bit is fun. Uh, and uh, that's what we're going to do with this episode. So, uh, you know, Coach Ciano not only talked about obviously recruiting and the current class that they just signed, but also spoke about NIL in length, talked about the offensive coordinator search, which I know is on everyone's mind. Um, so uh, certainly uh, several topics worth discussing. And uh, we're going to start off here with his initial comments addressing the media um, just in terms of his overall thoughts about the uh, current class uh, that they signed on Wednesday. Uh, really, really excited. I love this class. I think uh, we got what we need. You know, we got longer, we got faster, we got more athletic, and we got a bunch of guys who love football. And I'm not sure I value all of them in that order, to be honest with you. I love, you know, the guys who love football do really well at Rutgers. And uh, that's something I think is consistent for this group. Um, most of all, we have a group that wants to be part of what we're building. They can see what we're building. They understand the culture and they're a good cultural fit. So um, I think this is two years in a row. Last year's class, I felt very, very much the same. And uh, just really excited. Can't wait to get, uh, get to work with these guys. Some of them will be here mid-year some will come in june uh that's kind of a always a floating thing but uh looking forward to eventually working with all of them and them being a huge addition to our family so all right so his opening statement so to speak about the class um obviously he's going to be very positive i i do think what I like about this class is um I think they do add legitimate speed and size uh to the roster um, I think where, you know, they're maybe concerned is too strong a word. Well, I don't think it is too strong of a word. I mean, and, and again, rankings are not everything um, in terms of how to evaluate a class. And ultimately, you can't, you know, judge and truly evaluate a recruiting class until years later uh, in regard to how they these uh, recruits actually perform for the program. Um, but, you know, just on the face of it, obviously, um, Rutgers, this class coming in right now, the composite rank on 24-7 sports is 56th nationally and 11th in the Big Ten. 
So, uh, you know, last year, uh, the class was ranked uh, 33rd nationally um, and was, uh, let's see what they were in the Big Ten. Last year, they were eighth uh, with a similar amount of uh, prospects. They had 20, 20 signees last year, ranked eighth in the Big Ten, 33rd nationally. This year, you have 19 high school athletes at 24-7 sports, you know, separates the transfers out of the class in terms of rankings. Um, and this year coming in 56th and 11th. So on paper, right, you could say that it was a step back. Um, I know that, you know, Coach Yano could probably argue the merits of that. And, um, you know, a big thing which he does speak about, which, you know, most coaches do is talking about fit. Uh, he didn't mention cultural fit, um, you know, and how these players, um, you know, translate to, to what Rutgers wants to do. He did talk about, you know, their desire to be part of the building, rebuilding process at Rutgers, obviously very important. Um, but, you know, on paper, uh, obviously it's, it's not where they want to be. Um, you want to be able to uh, consistently rake in classes that are in the top 30, top 40 uh, for, from a Rutgers perspective, you know, uh, to be able to compete in the Big Ten East and be able to ultimately move up over time. Um, you know, you need a combination of everything. You need talented players. You need speed. You need size. I think Rutgers got that. Um, it's not to say that a lot of these players can't develop into uh, valuable contributors to the program. I, I think some absolutely can. Um, you know, Jasir Peterson is a uh, really great uh, get. I think he's a high-end three-star, really close uh, player grade-wise to a four-star. Uh, he's got an 80-28 uh, grade. Um, which is, you know, it, it usually in the 89s is where the four stars start. Uh, so, you know, he's uh, uh, going to be on the defensive line and um, out of Union City, really like him. Uh, then you have, you know, their top rated offensive lineman, number two in the class, John Stone. Uh, he's a 87, a 36 grade. Uh, so he's a high end three star as well. Uh, both of those players, uh, Peterson's ranked ninth in, in the state, uh, Stone 12th. Uh, and then you have two others uh, highly rated in the state. Uh, Nick uh, Oliveira, who was the flip from Cincinnati, did pick up a lot of high major offers, in, uh, power five offers, excuse me, in the last couple of weeks, including Wisconsin. Luke Fickle, his coach at Cincinnati, who then left, causing Oliveira to decommit. And the fact that uh, Rutgers was able to, to keep him and get him signed uh, and, and ward off even Wisconsin with with Fickle coming in about a week later after Rutgers uh, was was really big, I think. Uh, and then Fama Tamere, uh, who is, uh, you know, he's ranked 17th now, I guess, in the state. But, you know, I've seen other services rank him as a definitely top 10. Um, you know, he's an interesting case, but I think talent-wise um, and just makeup, you know, he's, he's Mo Tamere's younger brother. Uh, He's a really tough kid. He's a very physical player. And I think he's, you know, at receiver could could make an impact for Rutgers next season. Um, he's 6'3", 195. He's got speed and size. Um, you know, he's not afraid to go over the middle. Uh, he's just kind of a fearless player. I think, you know, obviously his transition into the program with his brother is going to be pretty smooth. Um, so, you know, him being the, the fourth-rated New Jersey prospect in the class and not even a top 15 guy. I mean, I think value wise, he's, he's a great addition. Um, and you have some other guys, you know, that are, that are uh, on the higher end of ratings. Devon fuse is a kid out of uh, Western Pennsylvania that Pitt offered late 
uh, after Rutgers, and he held true to his commitment to Rutgers. He is listed as an athlete, uh, 6'4", 190. Um, you know, he was a top 20 kid in Pennsylvania. So, uh, you know, I think there's really good value there. He could end up on the defense. I think what's going to be interesting is there's a lot of uh, guys that could play both ways in this class. And how is Shiano going to decide with his staff where these, these guys end up? Obviously, defense in a much stronger position uh, than the offense right now. Uh, and we'll talk more about that. But I think how they strategize that, um, how they determine going into, you know, maybe they, they depending on who's an early enrollee, Rutgers did not announce who's enrolling or not. I, I know about uh, they're trying to get at least half the class to enroll early. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of paperwork and processing that goes into that, which is why they can't formally announce that yet. But, um, you know, that is key, obviously, getting a lot of these guys in early uh, to be able to contribute right away next season. Um, but where these kids end up, uh, you know, whether it's the preseason or um, training camp, uh, will be interesting to see how they allocate kind of those decisions um, with with the certain athletes. But Fuse, Devon Fuse is a, a kid that, you know, I'm really excited about as well. Uh, and we can talk about the class a little bit more. DeAndre Johnson's another one. He's an athlete, 6'8", 200 out of uh, Newburgh, New York. Uh, he was uh, ranked the number two player in the New York, in New York State. Um, and he could go both ways. I, I think he's really, really intriguing as a receiver, tight end potential. Um, you know, he could end up along the defensive line too. I'm sure, uh, you know, defensive coaches are, are frothing over him, uh, potentially being an edge rusher in the future with that size. Um, but there, there's certainly some intriguing pieces to this class. I think where they, you know, got hurt rankings wise was towards the bottom of the class. Um, some really low rankings there, but again, you know, the staff saw enough in these players to give them a shot and and want to develop these kids. And Rutgers is a, you know, listen, they're a developmental program. Uh, and, and that's where they have to hang their hat on. And I think we saw some, you know, positive development this past season. I think we didn't see enough of it. And that's obviously a concern moving forward. Um, but overall, I think uh, there's some pieces to be excited about. Uh, and at the same time, you know, also concern in that, you know, slipped back about 20 spots and, and ranked in the mid 50s, uh, ranked towards the bottom of of, of the, the Big Ten. I think one thing that people don't uh, necessarily think about sometimes is uh, where the class ranks in respect to player grade average. Uh, and that's where actually Rutgers does worse uh, than 11th. So they're 11th overall. Um, but part of that is that they're signing, um, you know, 19 guys. Uh, where, you know, say if you look at the average player rating, uh, which is the average player grade per commit, Rutgers is last uh, in the Big Ten, 85.69 player average. You have Indiana, which is actually ranked last overall. Um, the difference between them and Rutgers, they have a four-star, Rutgers does not. Um, and they only signed uh, 12 over or 13 overall. So Rutgers is a bigger class, so their average – or excuse me, their ranking is higher, but their average player grade is slightly less. Indiana's 85.76, Rutgers 85.69. You know, you quibble over the details, but the bottom line is, you know, player for player, Rutgers is at the bottom. Illinois, which is ranked 10th overall, uh, they signed a large class too. They have 19 commits, two four-stars. The rest three, uh, excuse me, they signed 21 commits, 19 three-stars, two four-stars, their average player grade is 85.91. Uh, so <clears throat> I always think the player grade gets kind of missed. Um, and I always look at that. And if you look at that aspect of it, 
you know, Rutgers is at the bottom. So again, it's all about development. Um, I do think that there's pieces to work within this class and, you know, they're, they're going to need to develop a lot of this class for it to be considered a successful one. Um, but the reality is going into it, uh, you know, you could uh, argue for sure that, you know, recruiting appears to be down and that's something we'll talk about long-term uh, coming up. Now let's go back to Greg Schiano being asked about Florida uh, being kind of a pipeline Rutgers did sign. Uh, well, six commits play in Florida, five are from Florida. Um, one is from, uh, Jake Eldridge is actually from, uh, Colleyville, Texas, but plays for IMG Academy. Um, the number one long snapper in the country, uh, which we will talk about, but, um, this is Greg Schiano discussing, uh, why Florida is so key to recruiting for Rutgers football. Well, Florida has always been an important part of our recruiting strategy, um, first time around and, and the second time around. Um, it's hugely important. I think we got some really fine players and really good people, guys who, you know, see what we're building and want to be part of it, see what our culture is and want to be part of it. Uh, that's the most important thing. And, you know, nowadays with all the social media and all the, uh, you know, technology, the world has shrunk. So it's even, even more convenient than it was uh, last go around. But, uh, you know, I told you the story. When I went to coach at the University of Miami in 99 and 2000, I fell in love with Florida football. Um, you know, they, they, they play year round. They practice, you know, 15 or 20 practices in the spring. Uh, I know a lot of people down there. Our coaches know a lot of people. So it's really a, a natural fit for us to, to emphasize recruiting in Florida. And, you know, there's so many flights from basically every part of Florida to the New York area. So uh, it's pretty good, pretty good natural fit. Okay, so Greg Schiano talking about Florida. They, as I said, they did uh, sign uh, six players that play in Florida. Bo Masco is the top-rated uh, Florida recruit that they signed. He's the third-highest-rated player in this class. Cornerback, 5'10", uh, out of Kissimmee, Florida. Uh, you know, and, and the thing about Florida that I like that Rutgers does is, you know, they're, they're not going to – listen, they're not going to get the top recruits in Florida. They're just not. Um, but there's it's such a talent-rich state that, you know, I mean, Moscow is their third-highest-rated recruit, and he's ranked 124th in, in Florida. So um, there is value there in getting those second, third-tier guys in a state where – you know, if they were in New Jersey per se, um, they potentially could be, you know, even top, top 20, top, you know, who, who knows, but um, it's uh, definitely good value. I think for them to go down to Florida, uh, you also have um, uh, then, you know, a lot of guys actually that are lower ranked in the 2023 recruiting class for Rutgers came from Florida. Um, but Abram Wright is a kid that, you know, is a linebacker, Really a physical player, hard hitter. He's 6'2", 225 already. Um, you know, he was ranked 160th in the state. Um, but he's a kid, I think, that could potentially play next year, even on special teams. Uh, and I, I think he was a really good add uh, down the line. You have um, Valet Nakun, who was a quarterback, only 5'11". He is recruited as an athlete. He's actually a kid that could, I think they could try out at wide receiver, which is obviously a huge position of need. You have Moselle Williams uh, at Hawthorne, Florida, 6'5", offensive tackle, 340. Uh, be interesting to see how they develop him. 
you know, he's ranked, he, you know, he's, he, uh, Nakun is 202nd in the state. Williams is 219th. Uh, then you have Jashawn Benjamin, a speedy 5'8 running back, um, kind of change of pace kid who's crafty. Uh, he's uh, coming in ranked at 230th. He was actually recruited by Purdue. Uh, so, um, even though he's one of the lower rated kids in the class, he did have another big 10 offer. So, um, obviously something there. And then Jake Eldridge, like I mentioned, he plays for, you know, the prestigious IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, but he's actually out of Texas. Um, and you know, that this is a prime example. He's his player rating, his player grade is 79, which is extremely low, but he's the number one long snapper in the country. So from a value add, uh, anytime you can get the number one player in the country in their position, uh, you do it. And uh, obviously, long snapper is not um, as impactful of a position, but at Rutgers, special teams is so important. Um, you know, you, you, uh, Billy Taylor was uh, obviously a staple for many years, and now adding Eldridge uh, potentially, if he becomes a starter at some point, which he likely will. I don't know about next season, um, but. Uh, the point is he's a, a really good addition to the class, but technically he's weighing down the player grade for the class, thus the class rating. So something to keep in mind when you say, hey, Rutgers finished 56th, it's true. Um, but I think this is a classic example of a really good addition that doesn't necessarily help the rankings. Okay, so now let's shift to Shiano being asked by Steve Politi about any updates on the offensive coordinator? That recruit uh, is not known. Today is about recruiting, but it's a it's a very uh, timely question. So I'll just say that we're we're working on it. I'm working on it. Um, but the reality is, we need to get the right man for the position, not the fastest. So when I finally decide that it's the right guy. I'll let you guys know immediately, and uh, we'll get get to work building our offense. So that was his first uh, answer regarding the offensive coordinator position, and now I want to play his second answer on a follow-up question from uh, Brian Fonseca, who asked about um, any details that Greg Shiana could share about anyone he's interviewed uh, or anything else about the process. I know you got to ask it, but you know the answer, right? I mean, yeah, I'm not going to get into any of that, right? I'm going to. That would be self-destructive. When you when you work in a search, you don't ever, you know, volunteer that information because that could ruin somebody's situation where they are right now. Uh, certainly, they're they're all guys that are working. They're all guys that have jobs, and I would never jeopardize one of the candidates. But you got to ask. That's why I said to Steve, it's a timely question, and uh, I don't I don't have any problem with it. But I can't get into the details, as you. As you imagine. So obviously <laughs> a little bit here, just, um, you know, Shiano obviously did not share much at all. Not surprising. Um, did seem, you know, I, I think he was genuine in saying he understands why they ask, but I think he, you know, I don't know if he was defensive, but he certainly was not in the mood to talk about it. Um, and I think I just wanted to kind of analyze a little bit where I think they're at with that. I know people are antsy about it, concerned. Here we are three days out from Christmas. The season's been over, you know, uh, is it four, four weeks now? Uh, doing the math. Yeah. Almost four, four weeks, I guess on Saturday. Um, 
you know, the position technically has been open since mid-October. Uh, I've discussed in the past, you know, I, I really do think that Shiana was hoping that Nunzio Campanelli would show enough and make enough progress during the season that he was going to be able to hire him. I think at least it was a serious option. Um, and I think we saw, unfortunately, that, you know, the offense did not do much better. Uh, there's obviously multiple reasons for that, and it's not all on Nunzio, but I think that um, going on to the outside and bringing in an experienced coordinator uh, with their own system, uh, you know, is the way to go. I think that um, Shiano's first part of his answer, talking about he wants the right guy, not the fastest, uh, obviously that, you know, should be the case. Uh, but I think it's fair also to, to wonder, you know, it's, 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 we're going now into the, the fifth week. Um, you know, it's unlikely to be announced, I guess, you know, I guess they could still announce in the next day or two. Um, he didn't, uh, I mean, he might not want to tip that off, right. If that is the case. So I look at it as anything as possible. What I wanted to say specifically about, um, you know, the offensive coordinator position is that, uh, there's he's finding the right fit, right? Yes. You want to find the right fit, but it's, I, I don't believe that there's one person that's only the right fit, right? There's multiple coordinators. And I think all aspects of their candidacy, you know, is obviously measured. So uh, is he potentially waiting for someone that, that is either, you know, coaching out a bowl game or in the NFL and needs to finish out the season and that's why there's not an offensive coordinator. It's possible for sure. Um, but, you know, I guess the way I'm trying to uh, objectively look at it is that if you have to wait on the right guy two months, right, is that really the right guy? Because then you're setting your program back. You know, if Greg Schiano could have hired the right guy and had them in place before National Signing Day, to boost the recruiting class, to unite the, the offense, right, going into the new year and having that right piece in place and potentially any, you know, begin the process of any shifting with the assistant coaches um, based on the coordinator that comes in, he, he would have them in place. So I, I don't think Greg Schiano, no one asked this specifically, but obviously I don't think his plan was to be in this position right now. I think his plan was to have the right person in place by now. That's not the case. Why is that not the case? You could obviously speculate. I'm not going to, you know, fully speculate on that. Um, you know, there, there's, I, I think it's very interesting. Nothing's really come out of at all. Uh, you know, Shiano has really tight lipped this thing. Uh, I mean, no one's even writing, you know, uh, uh, coaching search lists, names that are being mentioned, uh, potential interviews, play, uh, coaches that have interviewed, none of that is out. Uh, so, you know, is that good? Is that bad? I, you have to imagine that, you know, Shiano has pursued candidates he wants. Um, where they're at with that, again, it could be a timing issue, could be a wait and see, just, you know, perhaps he's even made the hire, but it can't be announced yet. Touching to Kind of his second answer with Fonseca, just talking about, you know, you don't want to jeopardize relationships. You don't want to put people in bad positions in terms of, or uh, you know, ha holding the current role right now. Um, so it could be all said and done. It could still be wide open. We don't know. Um, 
my biggest takeaway is just that, you know, Rutgers and Shiano is in this position because they're in this position, not because they want to be in this position. So, you know, why they're in this position, uh, you know, anyone's fair to speculate. But um, I think the key now is, um, yes, you have to find the right candidate. Um, but my point is that there, there's multiple, there are multiple offensive coordinators out there that can help this program. It's a matter of getting it done. And I think the urgency now to get this done, to get uh, that coordinator in to, you know, make decisions on the staff, to implement the system, uh, you know, every day is critical. You know, you talk about football coaches, you talk about Greg Schiano, you know, and the way they prepare week to week during the season. Every day, every hour is critical in their preparation. Same goes for the offseason. Every day that they don't have an offensive coordinator is a day lost. So this has to get done sooner rather than later. Of course, you don't want to rush it uh, or hire someone out of, you know, uh, because you're forced into a timeline. But at the same time, you know, this is, I think, completely fair to say this is less than ideal, uh, that there is no offensive coordinator in place. So shifting a little bit, but in relation to not having an offensive coordinator is the fact that, you know, it also has uh, been an impediment um, in recruiting. Um, you know, it didn't necessarily, I, you know, it was so late in the cycle. I don't know how much it would have helped with the 2023 recruiting class, you know, players coming out of high school, but I, I definitely think it's a major concern in regard to the transfer portal. Rutgers has added two players out of the transfer portal so far, Eric Rogers, a cornerback uh, out of Northern Illinois and uh, Michael Flip Dixon out of Minnesota uh, nickelback safety, uh, both, I think, you know, really good additions, um, both defensive, uh, you know, uh, Joe Harris, the defensive coordinator, obviously leveraging his relationship with Dixon. He recruited him and coached him at Minnesota. And then Rogers is a New Jersey kid coming back. Um, but offensively, uh, obviously Rutgers is in a major hole, not just not having a offensive coordinator, but the fact that you have, um, major needs at every position. So that to me is a big concern now, uh, in addition to having the offensive coordinator in place to implement the system, to, um, you know, get to know the personnel, how to best utilize them for next season. Uh, every day is a day wasted. Um, now you're talking about, in addition, plugging holes, adding talent to this team in the off season. Um, and you're hurt by not having an offensive coordinator there as well. So this is how, uh, uh, Fonseca followed up and asked Shiano about, you know, did recruits, uh, how do they approach not having an offensive coordinator? Are they concerned? Are they asking about it? Uh, and this was Shiano's answer. You're going to throw the ball some? Yeah, okay. I can do it. I mean, as long as there's catches to be had. If I'm a tight end, are you going to use the tight end? Well, yeah, if you, are, you know, if, if you as the head coach, Tom, we're going to use the tight end. So does it help to have that guy to speak to him? If, if the guy's a good recruiter, yeah, the more good recruiters you have, the better. But I don't think it's as, as big a deal as maybe uh, one would think. It, you know, again, if you're not going to use the position, so that, that's one thing that I have to answer him as a head coach. But I think it's it's overall it's, it's not been an issue. So I, I, I found this <laughs> uh, kind of interesting. <clears throat> I think I think there is um, – I think it's valid to a point. 
I think that, you know, again, it's not an ideal situation, you know, not having an offensive coordinator in place to talk to recruits, to sell his vision, uh, to sell his system, to target players that are going to fit his system the best. uh, It's an issue. It's an issue. Uh, Obviously, Sean is going to downplay it. I think um, the idea that I, I, I can, I, I do think I have to imagine recruits are asking, uh, you know, about the status and, you know, Shiano being such a prepared and, uh, you know, effective recruiter. I have to imagine he has talking points that he addresses uh, probably at the forefront with offensive recruits just in regard to, you know, reassure them. And, um, you know, I, I've, uh, heard that you know he has pitched uh you know the ideal offensive system he wants to run with the new coordinator you know and, and it, it appears that they are gonna you know uh continue with the spread which is i think the right move um but of course as you know you know with different coordinators i mean the spread can be interpreted and run in many different ways um but i think that you know Shiano has obviously has a strategy on how to handle this. Um, he's not going to go into it, but I have to imagine he's talking points to address any concerns um, and is speaking uh, about, you know, the preferred way he wants to play. Um, but again, it goes back to this is not an ideal situation. Uh, this is not helping recruiting. Um, and again, the 2023 class was, was certainly more or less set. Um, I do think it's going to be interesting on whatever offensive coordinator comes in, how he uh, views and, uh, you know, um, evaluates the new recruits that came in. I do think I wrote about this yesterday about wide receivers specifically. I think there are six or seven candidates in this class that could help at that position. Um, <clears throat> obviously, the three that came in, uh, Tyler Braithwaite, speedy, uh, you know, smaller, uh, probably slot receiver. Uh, candidate. Uh, then you have uh, Jesse O'Furry, big kid, 6'2", uh, lots of speed. Uh, talked about Fama Ture as well. Uh, and I mentioned uh, DeAndre Johnson as, as, a, as a kid, Devon Fuse. Um, and then also uh, Nakun from uh, Florida. I think all those guys could end up being at wide receiver. Obviously, you know, you're, you're losing uh, Shameen Jones, uh, Aaron Cruikshank, and Sean Ryan, your top three receivers from last year. Um Huge, huge need. I, I think you could argue, obviously, you need offensive line help. You need help at, you know, really every position group uh, on the roster. But wide receiver is critical. Um, you know, for Gavin Wimsat to take the next step as a quarterback, he he needs playmakers to throw to. Chris Long is still there. I, I really, really like Chris Long. I think he could develop into a – I mean, he's, I, I think he certainly is going to be slated to be a starting receiver next year. Um, could he be a true number one? I think he can. Um, Rashad Rochelle, uh, you know, is another guy. He kind of converted into more of a running back last year. But how is the new offensive coordinator going to utilize him? Um, I think he could be really effective as a receiver or even a dual role receiver running back, uh, you know, a hybrid role. Um, other than that, I mean, listen, there's other guys on the roster for sure. Um, but no one jumps out. I mean, Isaiah Washington's been around for a while, uh, really hasn't ever made the leap. Potentially he could. Um, but wide receiver is a huge need, and you, you did sign a lot of kids in the in the 2023 class. But at the same time, you, you have to bring in at least one 
proven wide receiver out of the transfer portal. And, um, you know, Shiana does at some point uh, mention that, you know, uh, in January, uh, there'll be another wave of portal candidates um, after spring practice or will as well. And that's all true and well and good. But, um, you know, the sooner Rutgers can get help in the pro into the program, you know, and obviously ideally you'd want them there for spring practice, the better. So again, the longer this goes without an offensive coordinator, I think the more it does, I think it's fair to say hurt them, you know, in terms of just, uh, or putting them behind, uh, a little bit in terms of rebuilding this team and, and offensively, you know, the trajectory of the offense is likely going to be the trajectory of this team next year. If they can get to six wins next year and make a bowl game, it's, you know, the defense is obviously going to need to continue to develop, but it's the offense that has to make major, major strides. And, you know, we're a week plus out from January and, um, you know, more, more questions and answers for sure, just in the pure sense of who's going to fill roles, not just are these people going to be able to develop? Is this coach going to be able to implement this system in an effective way? We're not even there yet. We're at the point of who is it going to be? So I wanted to shift now to a question that uh, Anthony Vasili asked, uh, Fuchs asked uh, Shiano just in regard to getting players back uh, that were injured last year. I think that that is, you know, a very fair, it's a really good question and a fair point um, in looking at next year's team. You know, we're talking about who they're going to bring in, who they're going to bring in, who they're going to bring in. But you also have to consider who's going to be back from injury. They lost some key guys last year that um, Chiano touches on here. And then also uh, he discusses NIL, which I thought was important to cover. Um, Knights of the Raritan, the um, Rutgers Collective, led by John Newman, made the announcement on uh, Monday of this week that they have a million-dollar match program uh, set up for the next 30 days. They have six anonymous donors dedicated to uh, matching up to $500,000 worth of contributions over the next um, uh, 30 days. Uh, Knights of the Raritan already announced they're already over 100000 in terms of contributions um, from um, members, new members. Uh, so that's great news, but obviously a long way to go to get to that full million. Um, but Chiano touches on both. Just uh, I thought both were really interesting and good points uh, to discuss. Uh, first, we'll cover... Uh, talking about which players are back from injury and how kind of Shiano looks at that um, in assessing the roster. Did you say the billion-dollar match? Oh, okay. I was, I was hopeful you said billion. But, um, well, you're right. You know, we're getting Mo Ray back. You know, a lot of this, you know, I, I, I kind of alluded to it at the end of the year, but it's probably a good time to talk about it. You know, we had 12 surgeries that ended guys 2022 seasons. And I just did the wrap up with our with our medical people, um, and we had 179 missed games from guys in the two deep through surgeries and injuries. I've never had it like that. You know, I think a year ago it was 101 missed games, so 78 more missed games from injury. And when you're doing it, you hardly even realize it. You know, you just keep going, next man up. You keep game planning, but when you at the end of the year when I, when you look at it, you go, holy cow, and Mo Ture, who was our leading sacker in both 20, uh, 20 and 21, and Moses Walker, who was, you know, as I mentioned, the number one player in the state of New York uh, a year ago, both of those guys got hurt in the spring. Uh, 
And then we had 10 surgeries within the season that put guys out for the year. So 12 guys overall. Um, so to get them back and to get some of these other guys back is really going to be exciting uh, to, to see that defense. And because a lot of the guys were on the defense at full, at full force. So some key points there, just uh, discussing the injuries. I mean, I, I think it does put it in perspective and, you know, I know some fans don't like to hear that and think it's an excuse or whatnot, but you know, when you're a program like Rutgers where you're still developing the roster where depth and talent is both an issue uh, and you play in the big 10 East, having that kind of injury issue throughout the season um, does not help at all. And it was, listen, you have to fairly, you have to be fair and say it was a factor in how this team performed last year. Was it the only factor? No. Was it the reason they were four and eight? No, it wasn't the main reason, but it certainly contributed to it. Uh, so I think that that is something to, to keep in mind when you're, you know, looking at the outlook for this team next year. You know, uh, oh, they haven't added this, this, you know, they haven't added uh, these uh, positions in the transfer portal, or they didn't sign this this group. You know, uh, I mean, if you just look at it that way, Teray and, and Walker, you know, and go and with Deion Jennings coming back and. Um, you have obviously uh, Tyreen Powell. Uh, you have most of the defensive line back. I mean, defensively, uh, and then you, you you know yeah you, you obviously lose Christian Izian, uh, who's off to the NFL. You, uh, Avery Young's gone. Um, you know, but you have Kasan Abraham back. Uh, Desmond Ingvenusen, you know, really played well last year. Max Melton hopefully is back. Mel Kuyper Jr. ranked him, um, you know, eighth in his position group for NFL prospects for the draft. Um, you know, I, 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 I do think Mountain's going to be back, um, hopefully. Uh, and I think indications are that he will. But, you know, no, it's funny that now players come back out and, and announce that they're returning. Um, he hasn't announced anything like that. But uh, I, I do think uh, they expect him back. And then, um, you know, the defense is just going to be – the defense, I think, certainly can take a leap. And I think they need to. I think they were, you know – above average, but I don't think it was a great defense last year. I think, you know, they, they obviously had some weak spots. They had some really bad games overall encouraging. I really like Joe Harris, uh, Harris as a, a defensive coordinator. There's a ton of talent. Uh, they were, you know, relatively young. Uh, so I, I expect the defense to be better for sure. Um, again, he's mentioning defensive guys, you know, the offensive guys that were missed out. I mean, Victor Kanapka was one, a tight end. Um, that, you know, uh, missed a lot of time. Uh, I do think that he can help at that position, um, you know, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but I think I just wanted to really point that out that I think, you know, uh, thinking about uh, the depth being improved on the two deep by just players getting healthy this offseason is uh, really important to keep in mind. And now here's Shiano talking about uh, name, image and likeness NIL and the um, everything going on with the Knights of the Raritan. Um, and then the second question about NIL, you know, again, that's that's the climate and, and the, the, the area that we are in right now in college football. And um, I don't like the way that it's handled. I do think players should get paid. I've said that since the day I took this job in, in, uh, in 2000. And I stood up at a, at a coach's meeting once and suggested and kind of got laughed at. But uh, had we had we had a little more forethought earlier, I don't know if it would be such a mess right now today. Um, but we are where we are. So there's no, no use crying over spilt milk. 
I think that it needs to get under control. I do think the NCAA is trying, but it's really hard right now. The, the momentum is in the other direction. So what you have to do is you have to build your own. Don't, don't cry about what somebody else has. I've never done that. You know, that's look, there's never been equity in college football before. So why should there be now? I mean, I'm not worried about that. I'm not trying to have equity. You know, we find the guys that we like, we recruit them, we coach them up, we develop them. And that's how we've been able to go compete. So uh, we'll continue to do that. We will use NIL. Uh, I really do encourage our fans and our supporters that uh, I don't, you know, some people just don't agree with it. The way it's being done, I really don't agree with it in all ways, but it is the it is what we're in right now. And if we want to compete, we have to be able to let our players, especially our players, retain the players we have. That's that's the critical part for me, um, because it, you know people don't have a clear understanding what the rules even are. Like you can't, you cannot use NIL by within the rules, right, to recruit a player, whether he's in the portal or he's in high school. That's illegal. I'm going to give you five dollars to come play at Rutgers. You can't say that. You can't do that. Yet it's done every day, multiple hundreds of times a day. Um, we're not going to do that. At the end of the day, I'm going to go to bed at night and know that we've done things the right way, and I'm good with that. Um, but we do need it because you know what? You got to retain the guys that sit in these seats right here, the good players that you develop. And so far, so good. But it's just going to get more and more competitive uh, to keep your own players. And uh, again, we're we're trying to find the guys like we did this year that want what we have and that want to be part of what we're building. So. Again, I'm really excited. We're involved in it. We're gonna we're gonna use it the best way we can at Rutgers, and I just encourage our fans to help support that, and our and our supporters, our boosters, to help support that because it is critical, very critical. So Shiano talking about the importance of NIL, and again stressing uh, the need for retention. Uh, he did say so far so good, and that uh, I, I think is uh, a real positive. Is that Rutgers has uh, of the um, it's about a dozen. Uh, players that have entered the transfer portal from Rutgers uh, since a, the offseason began. Um, none uh, were full-time starters or on the two deep. So I think that that's huge. Again, talking about, you know, who they're bringing in, but also evaluating who's returning both, um, you know, with, with years of eligibility remaining, you know, not leaving, not transferring, not uh, getting lured away by NIL and also returning from injury. So you have to look at it, you know, as a collective, uh, <laughs> pun intended, I guess, um, a, a full picture of, of how the roster is constructed. Uh, so there are some positives there in terms of how things are shaping out. Um, you know, Knights of the Raritan, uh, John Newman and, and all those guys, you know, they do a great job and they're really trying to, you know, get as much uh, support uh, from fans as possible. Um, you know, I think uh, obviously, I mean, I'm all for uh, student athletes getting paid, I think in every sport, you know, I, I, I think obviously football is kind of the one everybody thinks of, but I think every sport should and, um, and they do. Uh, and I do commend Knights of the Raritan and also Knight Society, Geo Baker and Eric LeGrands. Um, it's not really a collective, but they, they do obviously uh, assign uh, Rutgers student-athletes to NIL deals. They do a lot within the community as well. Um, both of those groups, you know, they're, they're, they're not just targeting football and basketball. They are targeting student-athletes at Rutgers in every sport. So that is really important uh, and a great thing. Um, I do think for, you know, Rutgers fans that don't agree with it, I mean, you know, uh, 
you have to evolve. You have to change. I also respect Rutgers fans that, you know, said, I, I give enough. I, you know, buy season tickets. I purchase, um, you know, merchandise. I, you know, donate to the, um, you know, a certain uh, department or school. Uh, I think everybody has to respect everybody. And what you can give is what you can give. And if you're not, if you can't, that's okay. I, I My whole thing with all this is I don't want, you know, loyal, long time or younger, newer fans, supporters of Rutgers to feel bad if they can't contribute. And I think for me, that's always been what I've been sensitive to is contribute where you can contribute. Um, you know, and if, if you don't contribute and you don't want to, okay. Um, I think we all have to respect each other and it doesn't make anyone less of a fan or a supporter uh, if you're not contributing. Now, that being said, if you can, I absolutely uh hope you can um because it's only going to help i think um rutgers is obviously i mean i think what 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 i liked what chiano said was when he talked about there's never been equity in college football that is absolutely true and it, it works that way in college basketball as well um you know a lot of what the nil has done is it has just created a larger gap between the haves and the have nots um you know there there was I mean, listen, dirty recruiting has happened since the beginning of time um, and players were getting paid under the table. Now they're getting paid over the table. Uh, now it's just more transparent. So those schools that potentially were doing it before are just doing it with greater ease now uh, and being able to, you know, basically raise money to pay more. So it is driving up the market for the top, top uh, end recruits. I'm not going to cry for Ohio State, who seems to be doing a lot of crying lately. Um, that they, you know, getting outbid for top recruits. I mean, listen, that's just not Rutgers is not in that stratosphere. That's not what it's about. You know, Rutgers needs to get um, as many good players as they can and develop them. Um, is an IELA factor in that? Absolutely. Um, but we're not talking about an arms race with the top 10 programs in the country. Um, you know, I actually think an IL could, could be more of a, in terms of Rutgers related to Rutgers, I think it's actually, um, more of a concern with basketball to a degree, just in terms of, you know, there's less players in basketball and, you know, lesser rated recruits in basketball are getting greater NIL deals than in football. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I should mention that aside from Shiano, Steve Peichel, Scott Cadell, um, Steve Owens, baseball coach, uh, Jim McKeldry, uh, soccer coach all spoke out in support of uh, NIL and um, fans supporting the Knights of the Raritan and their million dollar match uh, fundraising drive. Um, so I think that's important too. getting all the Rutgers coaches on board publicly supporting Pat Hobbs came out last month for the first time publicly supported and endorsed Knights of the Raritan and Knight Society. Um, you know, Rutgers does have uh, they're able to offer NIL opportunities as well. It's kind of almost like a cameo situation where you can go directly to the R edge page um, and uh, connect with student athletes on NIL opportunities. So I think Rutgers is, you know, slowly but surely getting uh, in a good position in terms of being prepared and being ready to generate NIL opportunities. Now it's a matter of just doing. So the NIL space will obviously be Interesting to watch in 2023, both how Rutgers is impacted, how much support is gained, uh, contributions made, uh, and 
student athletes uh, signed to deals and benefited from. Um, and then also how it is in the college landscape and how it evolves. Um, you know, will there be more legislation? Uh, you know, NCA is changing presidents. I mean, all of that. There's um, still so much up in the air. So I wanted to end things. Um, I thought it was uh, interesting. Uh, Shiano just uh, asked uh, a couple questions about the quarterback situation. Obviously, Gavin Wimsat remains. Um, started the last five games of the season to mixed results. Um, it's clear that they're fully invested in him. Again, interesting not having an offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, an offensive coordinator is going to come in, and I, I, I would think that Shiano's going to want that offensive coordinator fully invested in Gavin Wimsat. They really don't have a choice at that point, at this point, uh, whenever an offensive coordinator comes in. So Shiano was first asked uh, by Steve Politi uh, what his plans are in regard to adding a quarterback uh, in the portal this season. Well, you know, any position, you know, quarterback obviously is the most important position in football, maybe in all of sport. But uh, if we have a guy – whether it's the portal or in high school, if we have a guy that I think can make our team better, we're going to recruit him, but it has to be a fit. It has to be all those things. So we've looked at every single quarterback that's coming to the portal and we've evaluated them. So we're certainly looking at them all, but if I think it can make us better, we'll, we'll definitely recruit them. But that's a, on an individual basis, every single guy, but we, our office does an incredible job. Every player that enters the portal gets evaluated and in a rather fast, manner so you can imagine when all those guys were flying into the portal it was some late nights and some early mornings sometimes those ran together for that crew but um yeah we'll we'll evaluate everyone if they make us better we'll, we'll, we'll make a move on it so obviously rutgers needs i think to add someone from the portal simply because and this is the follow-up question that will be that you'll hear his answer to next is you know the lack of experience in the quarterback room. So you have uh, Gavin Wimsat back, Evan Simon remains, um, and then they just signed a John, uh, Johnny Shepard, uh, who flipped from Old Dominion. Shiano did talk in this presser. I didn't play his clip, but um, just how impressed he was, uh, how he's a winner. Um, you know, I know Todrick Hunt of NJ Advanced Media uh, has written how he saw him play against Don Bosco. They beat Don Bosco. Um, and how he was the best player on the field that day. So um, he's a bit raw. Um, he's going to need development time for sure. So I don't think, I mean, who knows, but I would be hard-pressed to, to think that he would be ready to contribute next year. Um, he's obviously going to be available, and they're going to prepare him to be. Um, and then you have Simon, who, you know, who I, you know, I, th I think has some pluses, in his game, but obviously struggled at times last year. And then you have Wimsat, who, you know, we all hope becomes the guy. He has talent, um, but a lot of inconsistencies as well. He's still working through. So it certainly puts records, I think, in a for, – for an offense that needs to improve uh, with a new offensive coordinator to come in, whoever that may be, um, they don't have a proven quarterback. So – I think obviously what Shiano didn't say is you're going to wait until that offensive coordinator comes in. He's going to evaluate what he has. Uh, and then um, I would just be very surprised. And, and obviously, uh, I shouldn't say obviously, um, 
honestly very concerned if they go into next season with just Wimzat, Simon, and Shepard. So the follow-up to that question by Politi was talking about, you know, would Shiano be concerned if he goes into next season just with those three quarterbacks in the room um, with as little experience as they have? Here's what Shiano said. Well, it would be it would be Gavin, it would be Evan, it would be a Johnny, and then it would be our walk-ons. We'd have three. You know, my goal is to always have four scholarship quarterbacks. That's always been the way that, that we've done it. Uh, if you go way back, maybe you had five, but that doesn't work anymore. The reality is guys don't hang around if they're in a four-quarterback room. Two of them usually leave. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. You know, you said there's not a lot of experience, probably not a lot of game experience, but Evan's been in this program for three years now, and he's played some games. Uh, and, and now with, with um, that room, kind of those two guys kind of being a little more seasoned, I look at them a little differently than, than, uh, than that they're not, they don't really have experience, just that they've been around. Now we're all going to be starting new in whatever system it is that we're running. So, um, there'll be some of that learning curve anyway on the ramp up, but you know, you got to remember, like, look at some of the guys that have come to us through the portal. I mean, they've come as late as June and July, uh, you know, so there's several, everybody wants to get excited about this window right now. There's going to be a lot of portal movement. You know, you only have to be in by the 19th, right? And then there's another portal opening after the spring. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of portal movement after the bowl games. You know, I think I think there's this is a way of the future that, you know, you're really just going to have to. It's going to if you think there's a beginning and then an end, I don't see it ever being an end. I think it just goes like this. And it's something very much like when I was in the National Football League, you have your pro personnel department, right? That constantly knows about everybody in the National Football League. Now that's easier because there's only 1,696 active players in the league, but they also have to know about all the guys that are on practice squads, which is another 320. And then they have to know about the guys that are on the street. So it adds up quickly. Um, I think college football is getting to be like that and you have to be prepared. So. You know, do, you, do we here kind of put a little bit more premium on the guys that are from this area that went away? Sure. If, if we're studying guys that, uh, that possibly could go into the portal, you look at those guys. Um, but you have to be prepared because if you wait for every guy to show up in the portal, you know, you're usually behind. Truth of the matter, you have to stay up. So we're evaluating all the time. It's become that, which, again, I don't think I don't like when people say those are unintended consequences. Like you have to be a fool to think they're unintended. I mean, what do you think was going to happen? That people weren't going to evaluate people throughout college football? I mean, that would be silly to think that. If you if you think that any college coach that is trying to win would do that, then you don't really understand football. So uh, and the competitive nature of it. So it creates a lot more work and it, it creates bigger and bigger staffs. You know who's going to do it? Right? People have to do it. So um, you don't want to get me started on what I think because that would be a longer conversation than we have time. But, uh, yeah, it's things are a little messed up right now. So a lot to unpack there. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I do think his point about, you know, Gavin and, and Evan being in the program for multiple years now, uh, 
you know, does make sense and is a fair point in regard to um, being considered more experienced than, say, their games. However, you know, in the Big Ten, um, you know, we, we, we saw how both of them went through some issues, decision-making, speed uh, of play. Um, and, you know, I, again, I, I have confidence that Gavin's going to become the guy. I think he can become the guy. My point is, I think we're a, a big part of this past season where, uh, you know, the team got into trouble was obviously you can't foresee Vedral getting hurt before the season. Um, but then you start the season, you have two scholarship quarterbacks and, you know, a, a super green Wimsat and a super green Evan Simon. And, you know, Rutgers got by and, and beat Boston College and snuck by Temple and started 3-0. and And then, you know, we saw against Iowa with Wimsat out and, you know, it was just Evan Simon. And, and, you know, some of that does go to Gleason with some of the play calling I thought was a little risky at times. And obviously in Nebraska as well. But things really fell apart with a lack of depth at quarterback uh, and a lack of experience. And I don't want to see them repeat that mistake or risk go into next year with a risk. So obviously Simon and Wims are more experienced going into next year. Um, Johnny Shepard is, you know, super green. Um, and, you know, listen, I mean, uh, Shiano's talked about competition in the past. I mean, bringing in a portal kid doesn't guarantee, you know, that, that they're, they're going to, you know, uh, beat out uh, Gavin, but I think to push them is a good thing. Um, but also it adds a security blanket, you know, if you can get, and, you know, listen, who they could get out of the portal is a whole nother question entirely. I mean, they can't get anyone right now, right? They don't have an offensive coordinator. Again, goes to days lost. Shano's point about the portal having other windows, you know, I think does make sense and is fair. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't want to just bring in a portal quarterback to hold a clipboard, uh, and that's the best thing they can do. You want a portal quarterback that can play. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think – you create that competition and if Gavin can win the job, it's only going to make him better. And if he doesn't right out of the gate, well then maybe he will as the season goes on, but um, you need more depth. You need more experience in that quarterback room. Um, this offense has to get better. It all comes down obviously to, to the offensive coordinator uh, in terms of starting uh, upward as a, as a, as a um, unit. Um, but I do think that the offensive coordinator comes in, how are they going to evaluate the quarterback room and are they going to add a portal quarterback? I'd be shocked if they did not um, simply, like I said, from a depth uh, perspective, kind of a liability, <laughs> um, you know, evaluation needing, needing more depth. And then just in terms of <clears throat> talking about the portal and how Shiano looks at it in terms of evaluating players across the country, I think that was a really good point. I think that does show is, you know, kind of pro experience. And he's always been prepared um, I think the positive is, you know, Rutgers is in a good position in terms of preparation um, and uh, being able to act uh, in terms of striking when the iron's hot uh, in the portal. I think the, the, the issue is being a desired landing spot for um, quality transfer portal candidates. Uh, that That is the biggest concern at this point. Um, you know, when you need, you need a coordinator, you need to show growth on offense you need to show a system that players want to play in um you know i think the defense is showing that Rutgers is got you know going to be good on that side of the ball um and it is a little bit of a chicken and egg thing i mean how do you convince really good transfer candidates to come to Rutgers um 
you know, when they were four and eight last season and the offense was a mess and the offense is still a mess on December 22nd. So that is the biggest thing they need to overcome. But I do think it's fair to also look at, you know, the organizational uh, positives that is set up. So just to wrap up, um, first of all, I hope you, you like this format in terms of playing off of Shiano's comments and um, playing those for you. Uh, but I just kind of wanted to do positives um, and then some concerns. I mean, uh, overall, this offseason, I think, has, you know, it, it certainly has not been catastrophic. It has not, I don't even think it's been bad. I think you could argue it's been good just in terms of the retention of the roster. Uh, players coming back, the best players on uh, Rutgers are uh, all in line to return next year in terms of those that can return, other than Izian, which is the lone exception, who was not expected to return. Everyone expected him to go to the draft, and he is. Um, but overall, Rutgers has not been hurt by the portal. They have not been hurt by NIL, um, and that's a good thing. The two transfers they've added, Eric Rogers and Michael Flip Dixon, I think are good additions to the defense. The defense is, you know, um, obviously they have, they have some holes to replace, but I think that they uh, have um, made two good additions to the transfer portal, and they have some uh, guys coming back from injuries, like Shiana mentioned, and they have some, um, you know, uh, younger players that have that have been on the team that are hopefully going to develop this offseason as well. So I think the defense is in a really good spot. Um, one one off point, by the way, special teams, obviously, you know, Adam Corsack, congratulations, uh, you know, winning the Ray Guy Award, uh, best punter the, uh, in college football. Uh, finally, um, you know, people have I've seen questions online about, you know, who's going to be the punter next year. Flynn Appleby is another Aussie punter who's been here for a year and really was a mentee to Corsack and learned underneath him for a year. So that was another strong organizational decision uh, preparation in terms of Corsack ultimately leaving. Uh, out of eligibility, and now you have Flynn Appleby waiting in the wings. Um, so, you know, special teams, I think, is an interesting one to think about. I think, you know, not having a coordinator last year hurt them. They made a lot of mistakes. They did have some, you know, inexperience. I think some of the younger, uh, some of the, the kids signed in the 2023 class with their speed can help on special teams. Um, but I do hope that Chiana reevaluates how he handles special teams next year, potentially hiring a coordinator. And if not, um, appointing, I think someone you need, you need, you need a uh, someone specifically uh, leading special teams, and I don't think it can be Shiano. He can't, you know, micromanage it that much. He he needs he needs a point person for there. So whether that's hire a coordinator or a dual role for an assistant coach on staff, um, because they need to get better on special teams next season. Um, you're also losing Aaron Crookshank, who was on a lot of uh, you know earned Big Ten honors for as a returner, even though he didn't have the the year we all hoped. Um, he still was very good um, overall uh, in regard to the Big Ten. And then the concerns, right? I mean, we've talked about it with the, the offense and offensive coordinator. I mean, huge concern, quarterback depth, quarterback development, um, wide receiver depth and, um, you know, talent. Um, the offensive line, how are they going to gel? They signed, you know, three or four offensive linemen in this class. They had signed seven in last year's class. They added um four transfer uh, uh, players last year, all who played this past year. Um, so, I mean, there's a huge amount. I, I have to look at the rod. There's got to be about 20 offensive linemen on the roster right now. That can't last forever. Um, you know, you have to imagine some that, that don't move up the depth chart will, will leave at some point. But they have a, a huge pull to work from. Work from. How are they going to develop that offensive line going into next year? And then tight end. You know, we don't know officially if Johnny Langan's going to return. He hasn't uh, formally announced. I think there's a good chance he will return, um, but you need more help at tight end as well. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to, to watch for. 
I mean, really, they just they need help everywhere. They need help everywhere. Obviously, um, how um, Samuel Brown recovers from his injury. It was interesting, Sean, to not mention him. Uh, we don't know the timeline for his recovery. We don't even know his specific injury. So that's a big question mark for this offense, too. Um, you do have, you know, uh, Kyle Manungai set to return uh, next year. Uh, so, and I believe Aaron Young as well. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, big question marks on offense, big question mark with no offensive coordinator. Uh, and it's, you know, it's concerning. It's concerning because for this team to make that leap next year, the offense has to be better. And here we said three days out of Christmas and um, they're not better and there's no direction. So I know Shiano's on it. I know that, you know, he has a vision, um, but they need to make some headway here pretty quickly. Uh, and, and obviously be in a position going into spring practice, uh, ready to make progress and, and develop the offense and, and really implement that system. Uh, because, you know, I'll end it by saying 2023 is obviously a critical year, year four for Shiano, but it's also the way the schedule is, is written. You have to hit the ground running. I mean, you have Northwestern and Virginia Tech right off the bat. Uh, then you have Temple. I mean, they, they their, their schedule for 2023 is such that if Rutgers does want to go bowling uh, in 2023, you got to win right off the bat. You have Northwestern at home on Labor Day weekend. Then you have Temple at home the following weekend. Then Virginia Tech at home. Three home games in a row, all against, you know, Power 5 and or G5 competition. And they need to, you know, they, they really need to start 3-0 for a third straight year. But this would be the most impressive 3-0 start if they could do it. But to get to six wins, I really think you need to win those three games. Then you go to Ann Arbor uh, against Michigan. Obviously, a uh, huge obstacle there. You come home, you have Wagner. So a four and one start is really, I think, uh, big. Then you're at Wisconsin the week after. Then you have two huge Big Ten games. Michigan State at home October 14th at Indiana October 21st. I think those are two games you really need to win too. Um, obviously, you're not going to win all the winnable games, but that's six winnable games in your first eight uh, without a bye. Uh, then they go into the buyout uh, bye week. Uh, and then they finish uh, Ohio State at home at Iowa, at Penn State, Maryland at home. Brutal November once again, which is why those uh, first eight games of the season six are winnable. You got to win as many six as possible. I mean, you got to win a minimum of four uh, to have any chance. I think I think realistically, you got to win five to have a shot to go into November, uh, and you steal one, whether it's at Iowa, at Penn State, or Maryland at home. But the best course of action is you win all six winnable games. Again, is that realistic? <laughs> we don't have an offensive coordinator. I can't tell you if it's realistic. You know that I just think that that's the the road ahead of if you want to get to six wins, that's the best road to take. Will that happen? You know, a lot more to happen this off season, and we'll have you covered here at the Scarlet Faithful. I really appreciate everyone listening to this podcast episode. Wish everyone happy holidays. Um, whenever the offensive coordinator is announced, I will be back with a emergency podcast uh, covering and breaking down that uh, hire. Uh, and then, of course, uh, I, I do plan, I think, to do a um, episode uh, over holiday break uh, during in between Christmas and New Year's, uh, which I'll probably do a Q&A episode, potentially have a guest. We'll see. Um, but we'll be back next week. And then obviously Rutgers basketball is back on Friday. 
against Bucknell. I'll have my rapid reaction on YouTube. You can uh, find me on YouTube at Aaron Brightman. Uh, obviously, uh, podcasts anywhere you, you listen to podcasts, um, scarletfaithful.com, and then on social media as well. Thank you again for listening. Happy holidays and uh, lots more to come with Rutgers football throughout this offseason and look forward to uh, discussing and covering it with you.